thanks for tuning in to the Shanna Plan, the latest Niners Nation podcast. I, I am Kyle Posey. I will be joined by a familiar face, Akash. Akash, what's going on? What's going on, Kyle? How are you doing, man? Good, man. It's, uh, it feels good to have football talk again. It feels like we haven't had that in years. And even after a couple of practices, it almost feels like information overload, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, it still feels weird. You know, we've got these Zoom calls with the players and the coaches, and we're all kind of at our own houses, and we're not at the facility. So it still doesn't feel entirely normal, but I know you're headed to Santa Clara later this week, so hopefully we'll get a glimpse of the action. Yeah, looking forward to it. So Wednesday, the 49ers will be off of practice. They practice Tuesday, Monday, Sunday, Saturday, and they will return to practice Thursday through Sunday. So I will be there Thursday through Sunday, hopefully – We'll, you know, be able to pick up on some things, whether it's rotations and just how players are performing. But we're, yeah, just you, you were talking about how weird it is. So media, like people that are allowed to go to practices, like usually, you know, we could just record pretty much everything. And this year can't record one on ones, which is a big thing, especially for fans, you know, who aren't, don't really have a chance to be there. Uh, afterward, after practice, you just leave. Like you can't go to the media room. You can't work there. You don't do the interviews. You just leave. And a lot of times you see the reporters in their car <laughs> um, in, in, in the heat asking questions. So it'll be different. But, I mean, we, we have football and we should cherish it. So me and Akash are going to run down pretty much um, everything that's been talked about the last uh, the last week or so involving the 49ers. So we'll, we'll start with the – gunslinger Jimmy Garoppolo so one of the big things that's been noticeable or at least from the videos and just reports coming out of camp that you know his, his deep ball has improved and he's connected with Kendrick Bourne Brandon Ayuk on a few passes and that is one of the that will open up the offense so Kyle Shanahan actually brought up this on Monday whether you know Garoppolo has to improve and Kyle kind of spun it to where he was talking about more of the opportunity so his full quote was when you get an opportunity, when the defense allows you to go deep, that you don't miss it and you take it, defenses rarely give you the opportunity. You don't just call a play that says go deep. There are ways that you can generate big plays in practice. And he just continued on, you know, how we want to pre- take that opportunity when it presents itself. And I do remember last year, uh, there were plenty of times where Jimmy did have an opportunity to throw the ball down the field. And he, whether it, it was, you know, not so much like 40 yards or whatever, but if it, was, it was an explosive play over 20 yards. And there were some missed opportunities. So I do think that will be a big key for the 49ers offense. How important do you think it is to for not only for Jimmy to take those chances, but let's say like Brandon Ayuk, for example, now they have like a legitimate deep threat. Yeah, I mean, the question that Kyle Shanahan was asked yesterday, specifically about do they have a deep threat on this roster uh, ever since Travis Benjamin, who opted out uh, of the season, right? And kind of his answer was that, okay, there are a couple different options, right? If we're just looking for, uh, you know, a guy to run a go route, yeah, we look for the fastest 40 time, which I think happens to be J.J. Nelson, and we have that type of a guy. Or um, it could be someone that's slower that can go high point the ball, has good hands, and can also make a play down the field. So there's, you know, he didn't give us a straight answer, but he said depending on the, the defensive alignment and the play call, almost anybody could be a, a deep threat, quote-unquote, right? Uh, for Garoppolo's game, I think this is sort of the next area of development for him, right? This was an area of criticism. You know, uh, we joked about it, but, you know, air yards was sort of the the joke that was thrown around around Garoppolo. And, you know, a stat, you know, we talked about the sort of 20-plus yards. He only had 31 attempts all of last year. That only accounted for, I think, like 7% of his total, total targets. And uh, it was sort of, at, you know, at the lower end of the league for – 
uh, for quarterbacks in terms of deep attempts. And so that number has to shoot up, in my opinion, uh, to add an extra dimension to this offense, right? They've got this underneath game with uh, all the yak that they accumulate. But uh, I think in order to take the next step in this offense, he's going to have to attempt uh, more deep passes. I'm just not sure where that's going to come from, right, with uh, Benjamin opting out. And they've got, you know, Tavon Austin and, and J.J. Nelson in fold. But, you know, what are those guys going to look like, uh, especially with the injuries that they've dealt with? Uh, they've got Brandon Ayuk, who's a rookie in a COVID-shortened offseason, who's trying to pick up a very complex playbook. So how quickly is he going to come up to speed? Uh, but, yeah, like you mentioned, I think Jimmy Garoppolo's deep ball just has looked a little better. I mean, it's training camp, so all these things are overhyped. But, um, yeah, that, that would be the next area of his game to sort of emphasize and improve up, improve upon. So speaking of just wide receivers, we can go there now. And Dante Pettis had a very good day at practice on Tuesday, and Jimmy Garoppolo spoke about that. So let's listen to a clip from Jimmy talking about Dante. Yeah, he's been coming along. You know, it's uh, it's very encouraging, just the uh, the physicality that he's playing with, the competitiveness that he's bringing. It's, you love to see that, and uh, it's just one of those things you got to keep it rolling. So the two things that Jimmy Garoppolo was was complimenting Dante Pettis on, you know, sort of his competitiveness and toughness were two things that he was constantly knocked for, you know, the last couple seasons, uh, especially those contested catches over the middle, you know, uh, making plays late in crunch time. Those were the kind of things that, uh, you know, we didn't necessarily see from him. And so far through camp, uh, I guess that's kind of turned around after this offseason. So, you know, what have you seen? What do you think? What do you expect from from Dante Pettis this season? So the just hearing people talk about today, talk about, you know, the lack of or just Dante competing and Dante showing physicality over the middle. And that was the most important part because the running joke during training camp last year was Dante Pettis. If he goes over the middle, he's going to alligator arm it. He's going to drop it. And those issues in camp led over into the season. And that's why he was just a non-factor as the season went along. Just think about it. Your second round pick from 2018 was inactive in the biggest game of the year. Like that is, that is really tough. But with injuries, he is getting another opportunity and he has like he really has no choice to step up. And I do think that he's super talented still like his rookie year in those seven games. What he showed was very, very good for what Kyle Shanahan wants to do in this offense. Uh, Will Blackman, former NFL cornerback, called Kyle Shanahan's offense like for said it's built for punt returners, which is a great um, just a great description of what he wants, because he's going to get you guys in space. And if you can make somebody miss, you are going to do great. We saw that with Debo last year. Dante has that ability, not the same ability as Debo Samuel, but he has the ability to make plays. And that's what the 49ers need. I just, I think he's still one of the most talented receivers on the team. I think just as far as route running and just what they can do when the ball is in his hands, he can be a very, very good player, but he needs confidence. And making plays like this early in camp, hopefully, that will turn his confidence around and he starts to make more and more plays because before these injuries, before the Jalen Hurd injury, before Richie James broke his wrist and Debo Samuel had the Jones fracture, most of the reporters like Mayoko, Barrows, and Lombardi, they had Dante Pettis missing the 49ers, like just not making the team, which is a shock to me because I can't imagine giving up on a second rounder two years after. And you, you that takes a lot of swallowing of the pride to do. So even before this, let me ask you this. Would you have guessed, like, would, do you think the 49ers would just kind of 
quote unquote, give up on Pettis for nothing. I think so. You know, we've often criticized Kyle Shanahan for sort of his doghouse, right? Once a player he sort of gives up on or uh, enters his doghouse, so to speak, um, you know, they don't seem to leave, right? Matt Breida has fumbles and now he's in Miami. Uh, Dante Pettis had his issues. He didn't play sort of the latter half of the season. And, you know, he wasn't really even on the radar until these injuries. And, you know, I think it's make it or break it time for, for Dante Pettis. Uh, Debo Samuel's out, uh, at least to start the season, I think. Jalen Hurd's out for the season. It's Pettis' time to shine, uh, in my opinion. Um, he's, you know, one of the receivers. Him, Kendrick Bourne, and Trent Taylor are probably the most familiar with the playbook right now. Uh, especially early in the season, I don't know how much you can lean on an Ayuk or uh, a Juwan Jennings type of player uh, who's, you know, just getting familiarized. Uh, so his, it's his time to step up, and hopefully we hear more reports like today, um, and and we're, we'll be able to see him uh, step up this season. Yeah, just because one of the, you're talking about the doghouse. The, John Lund had a very good point about this when he was on Niners Nation and a couple of nights ago, where he said the one thing that Kyle Shanahan does not like, does not put up with, are drops at receiver, and we saw it last year. Like Goodwin phased out of the offense because drops. Pettis phased out of the option or out of the offense because drops just because of lack of physicality. They're not going to block. Earlier in the season, I was doing this advanced box score and Marquise Goodwin had like five blown blocks at receiver. And people are saying like, I don't care about this. Like, I don't want to, like, who cares if a receiver misses a block? Well, this is the reason these guys are not playing because they can't block. There's yeah. a big emphasis on that. So, I mean, if, if you're not going to compete, you're not going to compete when the ball is not your way. He's probably not going to give you an opportunity, you know, to throw you the ball. So, uh, just sticking with the receivers here, it seems like early on the three receivers that are, you know, consistently and will probably get most of the reps are Ren Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, and Trent Taylor. Going into a regular season, let's just assume, let's just assume the worst right now. And let's say Debo Samuel misses a month and a half. So he misses six weeks. Are you worried? Would you be worried with those three as your top three receivers heading into the season? Yes and no. Uh Yes, in the sense that we're talking about Kendrick Bourne as potentially, you know, your leading uh, targets guy uh, going into the season. That That's concerning. He's a former undrafted free agent. And I know he's he's a fantastic story, but he's definitely not like the most talented guy on this on this roster. Right. So that that concerns me. Uh, Trent Taylor coming off of what, five foot surgeries. He's going to be your slot guy. Uh, ideally, I know he's looked great in camp, but, you know, how healthy is, is he going to be? Then Brandon Ayuk, your first round pick. Obviously, he's a rookie. He's going to, you know, make mistakes, running the wrong routes, missing blocks, all that sort of, all that type of thing, right? It's, you know, unavoidable with a rookie in a shortened offseason to be able to just pick up the offense like that and and just run with it, right? So, yes, I'd be concerned from that standpoint. The areas why I wouldn't be concerned is their schedule, at least the first, you know, three weeks out of the season. They've got two, I'd say, cupcake games, right? They've got the Giants who have a new head coach, new system. And then they've got the Jets uh, and, you know, mess, I'd, I'd say, right? So I'm not necessarily concerned just given the ease of the schedule, but I would be just from who's on the field standpoint. Well, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I think those are good points just because I would be more worried about what do we what happens when it's third and nine and you can't draw up these timing routes where – you know, you can kind of scheme somebody open. The defense is going to probably bring some pressure and you're going to need to win 
on a route other than a slant, which Kendrick Bourne is very good at running. Trent Taylor is good at running these underneath routes. But what about when you are have to face man coverage and you have to get open further than eight yards, seven yards, six yards down the field? Are you going to be able to consistently win? And that would be my biggest concern when the 49ers are on these third or obvious passing downs. Will those receivers be able to get open? Because we keep hearing, I mean, I just keeps getting propped up by all these guys, and that's great. And But we have to still maintain expectations because I think 49ers fans were so spoiled with Debo last year that they're kind of penciling in Ayuk to have like 800 yards, and that's just yeah. not normal for a rookie wide receiver. That's, yeah, it's just not. That does not happen. So I think Ayuk is going to be, do very well, but th- there is a lot of pressure on him to succeed, especially if uh, Debo is out. So I, I would be worried, but at the same time, I think that Kyle Shanahan, I mean, the name of the name of the podcast speaks for itself. It's <laughs> Shanahan will have a plan. So I, uh, I, I'm not too worried about that. And, and I'm glad you brought up the schedule as well. So um, obviously one of the biggest topics has been George Kittle's extension and Mike Silver had a great piece just talking about, you know, the the, the nitty gritty details, everything that went around or everything that went into forming or just getting an extension done. And and you've been uh, you've been hammering home pretty good on this about Twitter. So what what were your takeaways of just Jack Beck's deal and like his approach and Kittle's just Kittle getting a new deal in general? Yeah, I mean, thank God George Kittle got a new extension and not just because he's gonna. <laughs> Not just because, you know, he's going to be with the 49ers through whatever, 2025, but thank God it's over. We can stop with the madness that, you know, that there's some alternative plan that, you know, they're going to get rid of George Kittle or whatever. He's, he's with the team. He's here on, uh, you know, a good deal for both sides, you know. It's not often you could say that it's a fair deal for both the team and the player. Usually it's like, man, that, that team overpaid for player X or, man, that player, like, got screwed or, it, it you know, it's a team-friendly deal, but – I think, you know, with, with George Kittle here, uh, it, was, it was fair. And Jack Becht, uh, you know, went on 95.7 uh, earlier today to talk, you know, about kind of the process, which started all the way back in February after the Super Bowl. Um, and obviously the Niners, as, you know, any good organization would, started the negotiation low, right? They came in, you know, I think right above Austin Hooper's sort of, you know, $10.5 million, uh, per year. And they said, we'll make you the highest paid tight end. And let's start there, right? Obviously, they had, you know, team control given the fact that they could franchise tag him for, you know, two years after the season. And so that, you know, severely hindered uh, Becta and Kittle's camp in terms of negotiations, right? Uh, you know, I think Becta alluded to the fact that I think, you know, 18 million plus was sort of the market uh, or sort of the value that he was expecting. He even made the comment that if Kittle hit the open market, they could get 20 million plus. You know, he said that the number would start with a two. Um, but again, the franchise tag, which is one of the beautiful things about the NFL and that it exists, gave the 49ers a ton of leverage. And so the other complication in all of this is, you know, uh, the economics of the league, right? Uh, we're in this sort of uh, year with COVID and uh, teams didn't know what future salary caps were going to look like. And sort of that had to get worked out before George Kittle's deal could get finalized. So sort of when the league finalized um, – the future cap numbers or, you know, they put together a plan. That's when the negotiations really picked up late July. They went back and forth and they landed at 15 million, you know, per year with, uh, you know, guarantees of like 40 million, which blew the tight end market. But I think he's still like the 12th highest paid like pass catcher, which is fantastic. Uh, The two things for Bectus camp, that's a huge win. 
um, I think are like the contract triggers. Typically, you know, April 1st is sort of the guarantee date uh, when a team, you know, guarantees a player salary for the for the upcoming season. Uh, that gives the team flexibility to, you know, explore the free agent market for an alternative option. Uh, but Beck does sort of doesn't, you know, they said, we're, uh-uh, we're not going to do that. So that doesn't exist in Kittle's deal. So essentially the 49ers have to get, you know, guarantee Kittle's next year's salary the year before. Um, so essentially, you know, Kittle's going to be with the team, um, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future through the life of the contract. That was a, a big win for his camp, I think. And, you know, it, it's just good to have your, your best player locked down. Uh, it's a good, good deal. I think both, both sides are happy and we can just finally move on. We can retire the stupid pay George Kittle hashtag and we just move on. Believe it or not, your hashtag has nothing to do with the, whether a player gets signed or not. Zilch. So Bechter was – he's been very vocal. He's been very open about this. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised. It's, it's, yeah, very, very surprised about that. And he has not really minced words. He, he even said on 95.7 on Tuesday morning, he said that he kind of even gave John Lynch a little jab when Lynch was extended. And he kind of said, hey, uh, are you going to take care of my guy? Or yeah. And he also said Kittle's worth $18 million. And whether the 49ers won't admit it, but everybody knows it. And as you mentioned, he said if he would have hit the open market, the deal would have started with a two. So he's definitely gassing his player up. And he felt like the franchise tag was a slap in the face and because it hasn't been reset since the Saints' Jimmy Graham signed the new tight end. But he also said that, you know, the main, the biggest part of the deals, as you mentioned, were just the total guarantees. He wasn't worried about, you know, resetting the market on an annual per year. For what it's worth, uh, George Kittle is making the same amount of money as Jarvis Landry, which is embarrassing in a sense where these two players are nothing alike at all. Those two, that's the only time those two should ever be in the same sentence. So <laughs> in, in that regard, there is no doubt like the 49ers came ahead. But Kittle wanted guarantees. He wanted to be um, he wanted to be paid for in the event of an injury. So he got 10 million in injury guarantees, I believe, 40 million total in guarantees. So in that sense, he won. So yep. you, as you mentioned, it's not often that you get, you know, both sides come out ahead. But in this instance, it did. And hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about George Kittle's contract because, man, those were – it was like daily updates. And it wasn't really updates. It was just like he said, she said, and it's over. So, thankfully. Uh, moving on, this would not be a 49ers podcast if we did not talk about injuries. We have really <laughs> talked about <laughs> – we've talked about Jalen Hurd, uh, the receivers, Debo Samuel, Richie James. And on Tuesday, Ben Garland was banged up. And before that, so Kwan Williams also is going to be out two to three weeks after an MRI came back. I believe it was what, do you, what was the injury? I, I forgot what it was. It, it was a grade one calf strain, uh, go. which is which is good news. I think you know two to three weeks was sort of the prognosis. So he he should be on track for a week one. Yeah. So Garland was hurt in practice, and that meant um, Daniel Brunskill slid over to the first team. He finished the second half of practice. They worked out uh, former Oregon Duck, uh, Ronis Grassi, I believe is how you pronounce it. They worked him out today. So with Weston Richburg, more than likely he's going to start the season on the pup list. It Would it be a surprise if Garland has, like, maybe this injury lasts longer than the first week of the season and all of a sudden we see the starting, uh, Ben Garland starting at center. Like, just think about that at the beginning of the year when, it, if you, or not Ben Garland, uh, Daniel Brunskill, if you would have said Brunskill starting at center, 
first of all, I think the world of Brunskill, I think he is, he was so good last year. I know a lot of people put, put in the stock of, you know, where people were drafted and this and that. But I just, if we're just talking about how a player performed on the field, ignore the, ignore where he's drafted, ignore the name on his back and just evaluate the player. Brunskill was one of the better linemen on the 49ers last year. I do believe he can excel at center, but if you need another center, that's opening another hole at right guard. And Tom Copton, based on what he did with the Jets last year, in two words, ain't it? Nope. <laughs> he is not the guy. Um, which, again, this is where, in a dream world, the the center that you paid $47 million or whatever it was is healthy, and this is not an option. But to start the season, once again, Western Richburg is questionable. We don't know how, how much time he's going to miss. I mean, just going through the year, man, is it going, do you think it's going to be another year of musical chairs for the offensive line? Because Trent Williams has not played a full season in how long either. And yes, he took a year off, but I don't think it's just a shoe in that he's going to play all 16 games in the regular season. So are we going to have musical chairs on the offensive line? Yeah, man. Was, was Levi's stadium like built on some sort of like, you know, ancient like burial ground or something like that? I mean, their injury luck is brutal. I think, you know, football outsiders, we talked about this. They have like the adjusted games lost uh, stat, right? 49ers were the worst like in that stat of all the playoff teams last year. And the season hasn't even started. And they're they're down, you know, what, three receivers, now a couple offensive linemen. And it's just like and then they're a slot corner. It's like the list just never ends. Like, my God. Uh, but back to your, you know, your question about the offensive line, uh, Daniel Brunskill, man, has, you know, who has more like job security than Dan Brunskill? He can freaking play like every position along the offensive line now, once he plays at center and this guy that was, you know, from the AAF brought to the NFL has developed into, you know, just a Swiss army knife. And, you know, I would not be worried if he, if he moved over to center, right. I have full confidence in Brunskill being able to pick up the position and play, I would be just worried about what you're going to do at right guard, right? Like you mentioned, Compton. Uh, thank God he has Kyle Shanahan's number. That's the only reason I think he got this job. You know, otherwise, he, there's, he has no business, you know, starting at right guard. But uh, we also have rookie Colton McKivitz who could, you know, potentially play there. Uh, not sure if he's going to be able to pick up sort of the playbook and all that kind of stuff quick enough just in, you know, the this, this shortened off season. Um, but yeah, the, the continuity of the offensive line was one of the big reasons why I think Jimmy Garoppolo's, uh, deep passing game couldn't develop last year, right? The interior offensive line was just a turnstile musical chairs, just like you mentioned. And so they couldn't protect him. Uh, we saw that in the Super Bowl with, against Chris Jones, uh, against the Falcons late in the season, they couldn't stop Grady Jarrett. And so I wonder if it's going to be a concern again this year, right? And just valid concerns like you brought up, but, uh, Yeah. We'll have to see. Any three-tech with just an ounce of talent last year gave the 49ers problems. That's how bad it was. And yeah. The the good thing for Tom Compton is if Mike Person can start, Tom Compton can start. And that sounds pretty bad, but Person just was not good for the offense. Like, he just couldn't do the things that the 49ers needed him to do. So, And Compton is a lot more athletic. He's not anywhere near as, like, stout or strong. But that will be, you know, we're, we're, we'll see how – Shannon kind of calls that around. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they roll out week one. Hopefully Garland is healthy by then, and that way they don't have to, you know, keep switching players around. So uh, moving on, I'm going to ask you a question if the 49ers can rely on this player. So 49ers are getting plenty of people back from the injured reserve list or 
who just didn't suit up last year. And a lot of these guys, they are, it seems like they're counting on. I want to know, can they count on these players or is anything just an added bonus? So let's start with the camp hall of famer so far, Jarek McKinnon. There has not been a press conference by a player or, and obviously, you know, the, the reporters are asking these questions as well to try to get some sort of They're, they're pointed. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, but still Jarek McKinnon comes up and, you know, everybody's just raving about him, how he does this, how he does that. And when you, when we talked earlier about just the deep threats, Shanahan actually said, Jarek, he can be one of the deep threats and whether that's, you know, a cornerback or a linebacker or a safety that's on him and if they feel like they can beat him, they're going to take a shot with McKinnon who has been lining up in the slot. So they're going to use him. I think he, he does have value, but can he be counted on for the length of the season? What do you think? I'm going to go yes. Uh, I'm telling everyone and their mother, uh, buy Jarek McKinnon stock in fantasy football. I think he's going to be an impactful player with the 49ers, uh, especially on third down. Uh, this offseason, uh, you and I know this guy, Rashad Whitfield, a.k.a. Footwork King. He worked Jarek McKinnon out this entire offseason, absolutely swears by him, uh, says that you know McKinnon's in the best shape of his life. Uh, even said he was one of the five most hardworking players he's ever been around and you know, just like you mentioned, every player that's come up to the podium, defensive, offensive, coach, whatever, they've all been highly complimentary of this guy. And just by watching him, I think you don't even realize that he's missed the last two years with with knee issues. Uh, one of the big things I think you might have brought this up was that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo on third down last year took 13 sacks, you know, had, I think, what, four or five interceptions, had a bunch of throwaways, just ugly plays. And that resulted from not having a check down option, right? You know, having a safety blanket like a Jarek McKinnon who can run a simple choice route against a linebacker or a safety, someone you can hit in the middle of the field to avoid those negative plays is big. And I think he's going to be impact, impactful from that standpoint. Uh, Raheem Mostert, I think, is locked down sort of the starting job, right? Uh, he'll get the bulk of the carries. But I think McKinnon, if he could be a change of pace guy, be uh, a receiving threat, um, could could be impactful. And I expect him to knock on wood, stay healthy, and, and be it you know, an X factor for this team. And I'll believe that Raheem Mostert is RB1 as soon as he receives carries like he's RB1 because the only thing holding him back from not having 1,200 yards is his play caller. And this is coming from a Shanahan stand. That is something that I we could probably do an entire podcast on that I, for the life of me, I cannot understand. But yeah, going back to McKinnon's work ethic, he said the other day, I work like I'm broke. Like that described- That's crazy. Life. Yeah, like that is that is a really great quote. And I think, yeah, I, I'm in too. Like I'm all in. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, if, if we have to pick one offseason all-star and it'll probably be McKinnon just because if there is one guy, like he would add the most to the team. And that is a good point. Just talking about, you know, Jimmy and the check down because he's going to go from his first read to a second read. And then let's say both of those guys are covered. Let's say that somebody gets through the middle of the line. Then what happened? Where do you go? All right. Right. This year, that's going to be McKinnon on like a check down, a choice route where he's going to be one on one again, punt returner, kick returner in space, and he is going to win that matchup. He was he's been beating the 49ers linebackers who are all very athletic. If he is beating the 49ers linebackers in the middle of the field, that is going to happen. Against, Such a good point against the Cardinals, especially the Cardinals who they play with. Right <laughs> good lord, uh, that we'll save we'll save Cardinals breakdown. All right, uh, another guy who was the best wide receiver in training camp last year. Seems like he's picked up where he uh, left off, but five-foot surgeries. Can the 49ers rely on Trent Taylor, who by by the looks of it is going to be, you know, slot receiver locked in? 
Yes, I'm going to go yes, the 49ers can rely on him. One of my favorite stats, PFF's uh, yards per route run. So this looks at, you know, how many uh, routes a player runs and then, you know, takes total yards. And then it's more of like an efficiency stat. It's a stat that George Kittle, like, dominates at. So Trent Taylor, when Jimmy Garoppolo is his quarterback, 2.1 yards per route run. When Jimmy Garoppolo is not his quarterback, 0.8 yards per route run. (laughs) He goes from a really good receiver to a non-factor when Jimmy Garoppolo is not on the field, right? And so – their chemistry, their connection looks to be on point from what I've heard. I heard he had some dazzling catches so far in, in training camp. And again, is, is the foot going to hold up? I, I sure hope so. He has the same injury that Debo Samuel has, right? It started with a Jones fracture, then it was an infection, and it kind of escalated from there. But, man, if he can stay healthy, that, that would, again, be just a huge addition to the passing offense. And just someone that Garoppolo has chemistry with and someone in the, you know, the short to intermediate passing game he has a good uh, rapport with. Trent Taylor over under 12 and a half games. Ooh, I'm going to go under 12 and a half games. I'm going to go under. Under. Yep. I'm yeah. going under too. Yeah. Which leads us to another person who is super talented, uber talented, has not played a full regular season in 22 years. Cornerback Jason Barrett, who oh, is who has been running with the ones. Like he's been rotating with the ones. Obviously, Salah loves him. The 49ers would not have brought Brett back if he didn't have talent. Uh, Matt Barrows reported that over the offseason, uh, Brett was running and he was timed up to or upwards to like 20, over 22 miles an hour. It's some, somewhere as fast as like Matt Breida or um, the, just like Raheem Mostert, like the yeah. crazy super track fast. So for like Brett, his speed is unreal. Like his cover skills are great, but it's training camp. And yes, he's making plays in training camp, but his body just has not been able to hold up. Uh, Salah said today that he looks confident or confident. He looks more comfortable than last year. I mean, if, if the 49ers could get anything out of Brett, honestly, that would be amazing. My answer, I'll go first here. No, they cannot rely on Brett because this is a figment of their imagination. It always has been. He is a great talent, but it just always happens. I don't know. Something is going to happen. I, and I hate to say that because like I, I root for him and I just, I like this position more than any other position, but I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. So I'm going to say no, but I will ask you this as well. Will Verrett be active come October? So there, there's a huge thing. We're not taking into account, account, you know, when it comes to Jason Verrett, that's that he changed his number this off season. I think he got Matt Breida's old number. So he's wearing 22 now. 22 is like shut down corner number, right? Dangerous. You know, when 22 steps on the field, you don't throw the ball that side, right? It's that kind of a thing. But I got to agree with you, man. I just don't see how he remains healthy. I mean, we saw him, what, for like one game last last season and he got burned, right? I believe it was four plays. Yeah, my God. He got burned going deep and and that was the last we saw of him. Yeah, I, I love the training camp hype on him every season. Oh, he's going to be healthy. Oh, he's got the speed. He's covering guys. You know, I think I, you blew past him on a, on a deep ball from Jimmy Garoppolo already. Just, I just don't see him um, being active. I, I would feel comfortable taking that bet saying that, yeah, he's not. Um, yeah, you know, segueing, you know, off of that, I know Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan actually over the last two days have said that, you know, the cornerback spot, uh, the right cornerback spot opposite uh, Richard Sherman is an open competition, right? Um, they flip-flop between Akella Witherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley a lot last season, uh, depending on the game, depending on the matchup, depending on who, who kind of had the hot, hot hand. How do you see that playing out? Do you think those coaches are being truthful 
Um, are they just sort of giving, you know, uh, Emmanuel Mosley sort of like a, hey, you don't have the spot, you got to earn it? Or is it really an open competition? What do you think? Yeah, let's let's uh, talk about that. So I think we have some uh, we have the audio drop here from oh, Salah perfect. speaking about uh, just the open competition at cornerback here. The uh, corner spot opposite Sherm, obviously we we'd like to see a competition over there. There's uh, it is wide open if you want to call it that, and um, and so we're just trying to give guys opportunities to go win that job. So Sunday it was Jason Brett running with the ones. Monday it was Emmanuel Mosley. And today, on Tuesday, it was Achille Witherspoon. But there is a little asterisk because Richard Sherman pretty much sat out, so Spoon took Sherm's spot. But for the most for the most part, the last couple of days, it's been Verrett and Mosley switching off back and forth. And Witherspoon has been relegated to just uh, backup duty. So I really don't think it's his – like he has a chance to start. And yes, he'll probably get some rotation in there, but I don't think he's going to play a prominent role. I do think that this is Mosley's job to lose, just based on last year. If I mean, I've said this, I feel like I say this every time I talk about him. If he was drafted in the third round, we would not have this discussion. This would be yep. his. Like, if he was drafted in the fourth round, like this would be his spot. He played so well last year. Like I can just go down a list of his stats. Like he was, um, I believe he had the ninth highest success rate in the NFL last year Sounds in coverage. Right. Um, he was just he was pretty much top 20 in, in quite a few categories that matter. And this is coming from a guy that, you know, undrafted free agent had to, had to work. And he was like physical, too. And that was one of the most impressive things to me where he, he made plays on the ball, but he also made plays against the run. And I think that gives him the leg up on Brett, as does his health. And it's not like we're talking about a slow guy. Yeah, he's a little undersized, but he can run and he. He made plays against like bigger receivers like DK Metcalf. And he also made plays against like smaller, shiftier receivers. So I think it's Mosley's job to lose. I think Great. a couple weeks from now we'll kind of get that'll kind of play itself out. But I mean, like going back to Arizona, like they run a bunch of 10 personnel and Saul actually talked about running more dime today, if that would be a possibility with Tarverius Moore. But having guys like Barrett in your back pocket healthy would be nice to throw out there as a change of pace. So uh, just kind of getting back to a couple other guys here. So can we count on Weston Richburg to over under 13 games for Richburg? Under, for sure. I think he's going to start the season out on on PUP, the physically unable to perform list. Uh, and I just don't see think he sees the field early in the season. Uh, again, like you mentioned, they paid a ton of guaranteed cash. They restructured uh, his contract last season too, I believe. So he's basically uncuttable for this year and next year. So he's locked in. Uh, brutal injury that he had uh, in his knee. So, But I, I would hammer the under on that if you got the chance. Yeah, and he was he was like one of the first players I interviewed at the Senior Bowl back in like 2014. So like I've been following Richard. <laughs> he's great. Like he's a really good player, but he's not healthy. And when you're not healthy, you cannot be relied on. And with a team that suffers as much in like – the injury bug just hates the 49ers. Yeah. I don't know what the 49ers did to the injury bug, but he just does not want anything to do with the 49ers. And we're seeing it over and over. So I just think Richburg, I I have a hard time seeing him. I would love to see him play into the season, but double-digit games would be a surprise for me. Speaking of surprises, double-digit games, uh, three more for you. Will, will Jordan Reed make it through the season? Oof, this is a tough one. A lot of people have gone back and forth on it. I see a lot of it on, on you know, the Twitter timeline of, can we root for this guy? He's been through like seven concussions. Scared. 
yeah, how do you root for a player who's, you know, putting his, you know, his brain kind of effectively on the line, right? Uh, and risking another concussion and potentially just ruin his life outside of football. It's tough. But, you know, we're paid to analyze football. And so I think from just a football perspective, I would love to see him, um, you know, finish the season. Um, he would be a huge upgrade to Ross Dwelly as tight end two. Um, and just his route running and from a receiving standpoint, um, do I think he, you know, plays out whatever double digit games? I'm going to, I'm going to side. No, I think he's had a, you know, plethora of other injuries outside of concussions yes. and he's got a smaller frame for, for a tight end. And I just can't see him playing double, double digit games. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he will either. And I really don't want to waste too much time on this. It would be great. It would be amazing. And hope, what I would do is I would just shelve him until the playoffs, <laughs> yeah. and like roll him out when the games matter because, the 49ers, yeah. they don't need Jordan Reed during the regular season. Like they are, and they are that good where there's that much talent on the roster where they will be able to still, because I mean, he's, they, they weren't counting on him in March, so they're not counting on him right now. And they'll be able to win 12, 13 games without Reed. It's when it comes to those third downs and those second downs and those obvious passing downs in the playoffs where everything ramps up where you want as many. Just, perimeter threats as you can and like that's where Reed would really make a difference against the teams like you know the Saints or the Cowboys or whoever they're going to play in the playoffs where Reed would make a difference so I would say no but I would also think you know you would think Shanahan would have just a smart plan for him where he's on like a crazy limited pitch count especially in the regular season he's Uh, on the he's on the Kawhi Leonard load management plan (laughs) you play every third Sunday or something like that did not play rest (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, so uh, last last one. Will we see Marcel Harris or Tarverius Moore start a total of four games this year? Essentially, will Tartan Ward miss an extensive period of time? I'm going to go yes, just given their history. You know, yeah. Tart missed, I think last year was Ward's first fully healthy year. Uh, or he might have missed some games at the start of the year, actually. And uh, Tart, you know, had the injuries, the rib injury. Uh, sort of at the back half of the regular season. He, he came back for the playoffs, but actually told us that he probably shouldn't have played. Um, so just betting on their injury history, uh, again, you never want to bet on a guy getting hurt, but I would imagine that between those two guys, they'd miss uh, at least four games. Um, and we'll see Marcel Harris and, and Tarverius more. What I think happens is, and I do agree with you, I think – there's going to be another Mosley Witherspoon type situation. And I'm not comparing Moore and Ward to that same effect, but I think Ward is going to miss some time. Moore, Moore is going to come in. He's going to make some plays because he's a rangy, speedy guy and he just happens to find the ball. And we are going to come to a point where the season where why are, why is Moore coming out of the game? Like, what are we talking about here? What are we doing? So I think I can see that happening for sure. Um, we, is, 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 that, is that a hot take? Are you saying that the Niners paid $28 million to a guy that <laughs> they're going to take out of the game? <laughs> I think Ward is a very good player. I think him and Tart are supremely underrated. I also think that it is important to get turnovers, and that is where they lack at this time. That's true. Yes. Um, moving on, so we have plenty of hot takes about our plenty of hype surrounding Ayuk. We have a couple of quotes speaking of pointing questions from Kinlaw. So uh, let's listen to what Kinlaw had to say today about a little bully ball. Mook dog. I'm used to playing bully ball in college, but it's like everybody here is strong. 
my thing to get better at right now is just power rushes. Because I have a lot of power, you know, and when I use it the right way, it could be deadly. Let me tell you guys this. I have a lot of power. I am stronger than you. There is nothing you can do about it. When I figure out what I can do, I'm going to be a problem. That's essentially what he just said. Yeah. Yeah. He knows he's good, which I love. I love when I hate yeah. when players are like kind of beat around the bush. No, we know you're good. You know you're good. Let's talk about it. So I don't mind that at all. Um, he does have areas that he can't improve. Like he's not going, and he ta- he's spoke about this on Tuesday as well. Like he said that I'm not going to be able to just overpower people. He said that Lakin Tomlinson wore him out, but he also said that he's been getting plenty of coaching from guys like Lakin, guys like D Ford, and they've been making him a better player. Uh, but the questions about Ken Law really just come down to this guy is just a large human being. The biggest human being that anybody's ever seen, basically, is how they talk about this guy. And what yeah, I guess how do we how do you temper your expectations for a first round pick? Because he's replacing another first round pick, but he's also coming into a much different situation than Buckner was. Like he's gonna be surrounded by just like all all star talent all over the place, which is gonna put him in a position to succeed. Yeah, he's also not, you know, playing for Jim O'Neill. He's playing for a, a much smarter <laughs> defensive coordinator. But, man, the Javon Kinlaw soundbite was just awesome. You know, as, you know, we sit in on these Zoom calls with with players and coaches uh, on a daily basis. And, um, you know, most of these guys come out with sort of your standard, very, you know, PR, you know, controlled answers. And Javon Kinlaw just unleashed his personality. And I, I tweeted this after the, his presser. I think he's going to be a fan favorite. He's super relatable. Uh, he just seems to be a, like a fun-loving guy, which is what you can kind of sense from that uh, quote and his entire interview. And he's someone that has high expectations. He basically came out and he said, you know, I don't think I've been playing that well. I haven't been very good in, in camp yet. I'd be lying if I, if I said I was good. And he, think, he you know, has to improve. And every, every guy that's come up, every player that's come up so far has, has told us that, you know, Kinlaw has spoken to them about – how he can last in the league, how he can improve, how he can, you know, grow his game. And and those are the things you'd like to see in a rookie, right? Essentially be a sponge. Soak up every little bit of information you can, uh, improve on the practice field, improve in film sessions. And, you know, that's what we're seeing from Javon Kinlaw. Now, how does that translate to the field? Uh, not sure, right? You'd hope that he all these intangibles add up combined with his 6'5", 320-pound frame and his athleticism and it explodes onto the scene, right? But that part of it, we'll, we'll have to see. And um, like you mentioned, he's got superstar talent. He's got Nick Bosa on one side. He's got Eric Armstead, uh, D Ford. So the pressure on uh, Kinlaw compared to Buckner, whatever, four years ago, is a lot lower, right? He doesn't have to put up godly numbers or take on double teams all the time or, or be the guy, right? He just has to play his role to his strengths, and he's going to shine. He's, I think he's going to be a fan favorite um, here this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt about it. I think he – well, I really liked him coming out of the draft, so maybe I'm biased, but I thought that he should have been the first-round pick no matter who was available, and I thought that just how for what the 49ers want to do on defense or what they need on defense, that Ken Law, in a way, is going to be an upgrade from DeForest Buckner just against the run and – what just pushing the pocket and just consistently winning as a pass rusher just I think Kinlaw is going to be better by year three for sure but I think just as a rookie as far as adding to this defense Kinlaw there's there's not going to be that much of a drop-off which is amazing to say 
considering he's replacing a player that is he's like the second highest paid defensive tackle, uh, yeah. 22 million, 21 million, something crazy like that a year. So yeah, I, it's, this team is going to be very exciting. I think there's going to be a tons of storylines. It helps when you have a ton of talent. It sucks when you have this much injuries going around, but it makes the team exciting. And, you know, with, with the games coming up, with training camp come up, can't wait to see it, man. Looking forward to it. Gosh, is there, uh, is there anything else that we need to touch on here? Yeah, man. I mean, I just want to hammer home the point. Uh, the 49ers were like a middle-of-the-pack run defense last year. I think a lot of people ignore that fact just because they were so dominant up front. They had, you know, arguably the best defensive line in the league. They've got these athletic linebackers. But, you know, per DVOA, I think they were like the 11th best rushing defense. And now you put in Kinlaw, who's a more stout defender. I think they're going to be better uh, along the run, especially if they can get a healthy DJ Jones for the entire season too. But uh, J- Jim Washburn, who is like the father of the wide nine, compared DJ Jones and Kinlaw to the Jaguars D-tackles of like Marcus Stroud and John Henderson, who I don't know if you two remember those guys, but – we're talking about like the best defensive tackles in the league for like four or five years. You, you weren't moving those guys. You could not run on them. So if the 49ers can get that anywhere near that type of production from Kinlaw and Jones, we are going to talk about a very, very special defense. And it'll be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, thanks for tuning in to the Shanna Plan. If you hate that name, blame Akash. If you love it, I'll take credit. Um, (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Go ahead, Akash. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I texted these guys this, but the name I think is super catchy. Dante Pettis may hold on to it. Hey, yo. And with that, (laughs) thanks for tuning in. Go Niners.